This is May 14th, and you're listening to the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. It's the podcast where we read together through the one-year Bible as a community, because I truly believe the Bible comes to life when we read it together. And let's jump in doing that in 1 Samuel, and we're going to read chapters 15 and chapter 16 in our Old Testament reading today. Verse 1. One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalek nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telium. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Sounds like a real humble guy, right? Hey, where's Saul? Oh, he, he's setting up a monument to himself. Here's a, here's a rule for you, friends, kids listening. If you ever find yourself thinking, should I set up a monument to myself? The answer is no, and you need better friends in your life to keep you in line. That's just a rule of thumb. Okay, you got that for free from Uncle Blake. Verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, 
or your obedience to his voice? Ooh, let's pause. Wow, that is rich, my friends. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? What does God want? Does he want you to be a good church attender? Does he want you to give money? Does he want you to follow his rules? Uh, No, he wants your heart. Now, once he has your heart, of course you're going to want to gather with his people. If, If he has your heart, if you love him, of course you're going to give towards his kingdom. If you love him, then you're going to want to follow his commands because his commands lead to life and your way leads to death. But do not get it confused. God's not like up there making deals. You know, I, I made a mistake, but here's 20 bucks, God. God. God doesn't need your 20 bucks. He wants your heart. And that's exactly what Samuel's trying to get across to Saul here. Let's continue, finishing with the second part of verse 22. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord... He has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. This story is a good reminder for me as a leader of God's people. I've been privileged to be a pastor, a shepherd, that my job is to listen to what God would say. And really behind Saul's macho building a monument to himself is what? It's a great insecurity. That insecurity led him to listen to people over what God had commanded him. And that never works, friends. We have one king in this kingdom. His name is Jesus. And our insecurities, our narcissisms, our anxieties and fears will fight to make others or ourselves the king or queen of our kingdom. And you can do that. But you must understand that to be in the kingdom of God means to make Jesus king. He earned it. Living the perfect righteous life, you could not live dying a death on a cross for your place so that if you trust in him, you might share in his victorious resurrection. That is the gospel. The gospel is that you would repent. What does that mean? Turn from your wisdom to who? To King Jesus's wisdom. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Saul missed this. Pray that we don't also miss this. Verse 30. Then Saul pleaded again. I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope, for he thought, Surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, As your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at Geba of Saul. 
Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you. The Lord replied, And say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Purify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eli and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Anabeb to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shema. But Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David. Yes, that's right, my friends. We are beginning the story of the most famous king besides Jesus himself in all of Scripture, King David. Many of the Psalms we've read mention David. A lot of Israel's story climaxes in David. Jesus is the greater David. And now we get to enter into this epic narrative. One of the things I love the most about reading the Bible is just seeing how this story develops. Isn't it cool? And the coolest part is, is if you are a believer of Jesus, you are a part of the same narrative, the same story as David. This story is not finished, and we get to be a part of it. So let's begin our story as we read through really the rest of 1st, 2nd Samuel, and throughout the rest of the Bible, we're going to see this guy, David, a lot more. Verse 13, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now, the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp. Whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem, is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent his messengers 
to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd. <laughs> How ironic, right? Saul is tormented because he knows his kingship is about to come to end. God's spirit is going to be on somebody else. And so his people say, hey, you know what you need? You need good music. Tulsa's okay. And by coincidence, or as we would say providentially, who is out of all the Israelites, the harp player they choose to soothe Saul as he awaits the day in which he is no longer king and somebody replaces him? Yes, the very king who will replace him, David. I know it. This story is absolutely amazing, and it only gets better. Verse 20, Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. There's a lot going on there, and I am excited to see that story continue to develop. That concludes our Old Testament reading for the day. Moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 8, verses 1-20. through 20. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so... He stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. I want to pause. Uh, verse 11 all the way um, at the beginning of that story. Uh, very famous story. John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. Actually uh, is not included in most early manuscripts. In fact, if you read in the paper Bible, it'll let you know that. It'll say this is not included in the early manuscripts. How did we get the Bible? Well, it wasn't like God just like in one moment plopped out a Bible, which is kind of what most people think. Uh, the Bible was formed over thousands of years, uh, passed down from generation to generation, and um, there wasn't a printing press. It wasn't like John wrote his book and then you know it was sold at Barnes and Noble. No, it was it was written by hand, and then scribes would write by hand, and it would be passed down from generation to generation. Well. We find these manuscripts and then take all the manuscripts and translate them um, into the English language. And as older manuscripts are found, we kind of, you know, we, we can believe that they are more accurate because they'd be closer to the actual writing. Well, in a lot of the early manuscripts, this story is not mentioned. Now, why is it still in the Bible at all? Well, because it's been accepted by church history for a very long time and it is in line with the Jesus tradition. So, I just want to let you know, you're going to see that if you read the Bible, uh, which is what I love about Scripture is it's very honest. Like, we, we have nothing to hide. Verse 12. 
Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father? they asked. Jesus answered, Since you don't know who I am, and you don't know who my Father is, if you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. <laughs> Jesus is a master. You know, they, they try to pin him, who is your father? You know, And Jesus says, oh, that's right, you don't, you don't know my father. These are the religious leaders, in God, and Jesus is saying, you don't really know who God is, because if you knew who God was, you would know me. Yeah, wonderful. Moving on, Proverbs 15, 8 through 10, will be our Proverbs for the day. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. That goes right along with our Old Testament reading. It's not um, the sacrifice that matters. It is the heart that matters. The heart leads to sacrifice, but it doesn't go the other way around. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. Search your hearts, my friends. Verse 9. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue godliness. Whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. And finally, we will be praying through the 110th Psalm, a Psalm of David, our boy, who we were just introduced to in 1 Samuel today. The Lord said to my Lord, set in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Yes, Lord, we know from Hebrews um, that Jesus is the one who uh, is in heaven. And, and this exact verse is quoted saying that he came on earth and he was crucified, uh, died the death of a criminal, and yet he turned that into a throne. That symbol of death became a symbol of life as he rose again three days later. And Scripture tells us he ascended and... Uh, while on earth he was here as a suffering servant, he is now a glorious king. And in Hebrews it tells us that indeed he is um, right now making his enemies a footstool. How cool is that, uh, Lord, in that we get to be a part of that family, a part of that kingdom. What hope and encouragement that ought to give us. Thank you, Lord. Verse 2. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem, and you will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. Yes, Lord, thank you um, that we get to be a part of your army and we get to serve you willingly. We're not an army like the armies of this earth, Lord, but we get to go out with your life-giving gospel message, restoring and redeeming all that is around us. Lord, it'd be much more efficient for you to do all things on your own. And yet, Lord, you use us. You give us purpose and fulfillment, not because you have to, but because you want to. You don't need our money, our support, our gifts, our talents, our skills. 
But just as you walked with Adam and Eve and worked with Adam and Eve in the garden, you want to walk and work with us. What an amazing gift. Thank you, Lord, for using me as a part of your kingdom. Continuing on in verse 3. You are arrayed in holy garments, and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Mahalazadek. The Lord stands at your right hand to protect you. He will strike down many kings when his anger erupts. He will punish the nations and fill their lands with corpses. He will shatter heads over the whole earth. But he himself will be refreshed from brooks along the way. He will be victorious. And yes, Lord, we know you are victorious. There is no body to be found. You are the risen king. and You have promised that one day you will return. And not as the suffering, humble servant that you came as the first time, but as a glorious, redeeming king, destroying and defeating all the enemies of death once and for all, restoring all things back to right, back to the way they ought to be. Lord, we await gloriously this day. And I pray that more and more would trust in your name, that they too would begin to become new creations, redeemed and restored by your gospel message. Lord, it is in your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for today's reading. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It was very rich, and I'm sure you had many insights that I missed or didn't comment on, and I would love to hear those because, after all, this is not the listen to Blake read the Bible and just try to do what he says. No, no, no. No, that's not this podcast. This is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast.